Hey, and welcome to the Self-Explained Podcast. I am your host, Katie O'Donoghue, and I am a former model turned self-care and mindset coach. On this podcast, I will dive deep into all things self-care, mindset, habits, career, health, relationships, and much more. I will have a few guests along this journey, and with them, I will share some raw, relevant, and relatable realities. This is a podcast for people who want to transform their mindset and take the opportunity to become a better version of their self. Now for today's show, I have asked one of my best friends and former pageant sister, Rebecca Hanley on the show to discuss all things related to her former life in Mexico. And I say that because she's living in the US currently and from Ireland. But in this episode, we also discuss her experience competing in pageants and how people perceive her as a teacher having done that. So to start off, I asked Rebecca a bit about her background and how she got to be where she is today. And here's what she had to say. Yeah, of course. Um, So I have been a preschool slash kindergarten teacher for the past few years. I've worked in Spain, then I went to Mexico, and um, just as COVID hit, um, my school closed down. I came to Los Angeles with my then boyfriend, now fiance, thinking I was coming for a nice little two-week quarantine, much like I think everyone else in the world thought we were going to have. And um, I'm still here, uh, almost six months later. So that's how I came to be in uh, Los Angeles now. Um, I went to Mexico because I found a really good teaching job at a really interesting school. Uh, I already had a bit of a foundation in Spanish from living in Madrid and just thought that it would make more sense to go somewhere where I had a bit of the language already. And um, I have to say it was just the most amazing country. I was only actually there for about six or seven months in the end. Um, But yeah, I really wish that I'd had more time there because it's a wonderful country and the people remind me so much of everyone at home. They're so friendly and so sweet and they go out of their way to do anything for you. So highly recommend a visit when all this is over. And I have to ask, why did you decide to go teaching in Mexico? Because a lot of teachers, they tend to go to Dubai, for example. Was there something that actually attracted you to Mexico itself? I think part of me just wanted to go against what everyone else was doing. And I just wanted to do something that, you know, not many people hear of. I wanted to go somewhere that not everyone goes. I had actually thought of going to Dubai or Abu Dhabi um, to teach when I began thinking of leaving Madrid. But um, I went for a visit. And while I really thought it was interesting, I thought it was a lovely place to live. And obviously you have the perks, they do provide the apartments and so on and so forth. I didn't like the idea of having to get a taxi everywhere. I didn't like the idea of only going out at the weekends because my life in Madrid was so full and you'd have your Spanish dinner time at 10 p.m. every night. I suppose I wanted somewhere that was different, but still reflected that kind of Latin lifestyle that I'd become accustomed to. So I was between job offers in Moscow and Mexico City, and I decided to go for Mexico City because um, I don't do well in the cold, and I already had the bit of Spanish. Uh, I don't speak any Russian, though. (laughs) And did you find that it was safe in Mexico? I never had a problem there. Um, It was actually amazing. When I first got there, I remember being so nervous, and my mom came to visit me, And she said, I've never seen you like this. You know, I'd lived in Greece, I'd lived in Spain. I always just kind of went. And she said, she'd never seen me nervous anywhere before. And it was just because in the build up to going, everyone 
in Madrid said, why are you going to Mexico? It's so dangerous there. And everyone at home said, well, why would you go to Mexico? Like, you sure there's loads of crime there and they kidnap you there. And, oh, I don't know why you go there. You have to be careful. But once I started walking around on my own and just going out and exploring the city and I put in my earphones and just walk for a few hours, listen to my music and taking it all in, there are parts that you don't go to, much like I think Dublin or Sydney or Los Angeles. Um, but so much of it is so gorgeous. I never felt unsafe there. Um, I never had any problems. You learn that you take an Uber, you don't take a regular taxi. Um, you go to an ATM inside of a bank, but I never had a problem there and I never felt unsafe. It was really amazing. That's kind of much like my experience in Thailand. You know, you were told not to get the taxis because Mm -hmm. they rip you off. (laughs) Yeah. But um, did you find there was much of a culture shock, you know, settling into life in Mexico? Um, I suppose seeing um, Mexico City, it has 23 million people, I believe, like in all of the metropolitan areas. Seeing the disparity between like really, really rich and really, really poor people was really like a shock to the system for me I suppose the first time I would have experienced seeing you know serious poverty was um probably Athens I was there for the first time when the refugees were beginning to come on the boats and they were set up in Monastiraki Square and I remember as sheltered as it sounds that was the first time that I really saw a really poor person on the street so being in Mexico City and seeing that there's these little shanty towns that some people live in you know um there's this huge Ciudad Nesa it's called I believe and I think there's maybe six million people living there it's like the one of the largest shanty towns in the world it's insane um not sure if those numbers are completely correct but um some something in that area so yeah that was like definitely a culture shock um the food as well I was sick for about four months when I first got there nothing agreed with me um but other than that it was Apart from Greek people, they were just the friendliest, kindest people I'd ever met. I really felt at home there. Everyone just went out of their way to be friendly, to do anything that they wanted um, or anything that they could do to help you. So I really felt at home there. I felt very safe, very like welcomed. Good. And did you get to um, travel around a bit like Mexico outside of the city, like outside of like into rural Mexico, you know, because a lot of people when they think of Mexico, they might even think of narcos and the drug cartels. And I, I want to ask you, have you seen any signs of that when you might have traveled out from, we'll say, the safe zones? Honestly, no. Um, I actually didn't travel as much as I wanted. I was dying to go to Tulum. That was my plan. And then COVID happened. Um, I traveled only three times, no, four outside of Mexico City. I went to Oaxaca to see our good friends from the pageant compete in another pageant there. <laughs> um, so that was really great to go see her. Um, I also went to Guanajuato in the north and Querétaro, which is also more northern. I took a minibus there both times, which was an interesting experience because. When you go out of the city, I mean, it's a beautiful country. I didn't see as much poverty, I suppose, as I was expecting because that's all we're, it's kind of drilled into us that it's a very poor country, which it is. Um, I suppose the most interesting thing I saw was that everyone was wearing cowboy hats and like the boots 
on the shirts like they really like <laughs> you know if you watch narcos mexico and you see like these characters who are wearing them like it doesn't mean that they're a narco like if you're in mexico just like in the more rural areas like you would see that like regularly um so that was definitely something but i never saw any sign of you know crime of the cartels like i never saw anything like that going on that's not to say that it's not happening it just was not something that i experienced myself mm-hmm and in terms of your career, because I know you're a teacher and you're also competed in various pageants, but one of the reasons I asked you to come on and speak was because I saw on Instagram a while back and I sent it to you where Olivia Molly Rogers, who's a former Miss Universe Australia, put up a post about the fact that she's a pediatric speech pathologist, among many other things, but she was trolled by a woman who told her that if she attended the clinic for her son and saw that she was working there, that she would laugh and leave, which brought to light the fact that obviously competing in pageants, it paints you with a brush in that you are only your looks and having a well-paying job and being educated in a particular field of work is impossible because you are quote unquote dumb as a participant in a pageant. Now, I don't call them beauty pageants because I guess that's where it comes from. But have you had experiences similar to Olivia in your line of work as a former beauty queen, so to say? Um, I have not had anything so direct as that. Um, Being a teacher, there's always this kind of, do I disclose this? Um, Oh God, what if they Google me and they see this press shoot that I did when I was 20 years old? Like these kind of things. Um, I've always felt a certain pressure to disclose to employers that. by the way, I used to compete in pageants. Um, we all know the parents look for us on social media. We are told, as a teacher, you are told, lock down your social media, keep it very much private. I always have done that. But I know a quick Google search of my name will bring up all of the bikini photo shoots that I've ever done in my life. So I've definitely felt a certain pressure to disclose that to employers who have never had an issue with it. But one experience um, that I can recall was a child. She was only five years old. And she said to me, I saw a picture of you at the beach. And I said, oh, really? Um, How did she see a picture of me at the beach? She said, oh, well, my mommy showed me on the computer. And so knowing that my social media was as locked down as it was, that's the only, like the only way that her mother could have shown her a picture of me at the, at the beach um, was if she had Googled me and seen one of my photo shoots from doing a pageant um, where I happened to be on the beach. So kind of having a five-year-old tell me that I felt like, okay, number one, it's kind of inappropriate if your parents are showing you pictures of me to if they feel the need to google me like don't bring the kids into it um so that's really the only experience that i can recall um with you know being found out of having competed in pageants um a few comments from dads who i don't know whether they googled me or not or if it was just a kind of coincidental thing but um yeah, you're certainly perceived differently if you're um, glamorous, so to speak. And in, you know, a profession such as education, I can imagine it's, you know, similar for nursing with everything that's going on with the bikini picture shaming. Um, so I definitely think that people can think less of you 
if you're a competitor in one of these pageants. Yeah, and I just want to go back to the mother and the child. Do you think there was any way that she might have been trying to teach her child that it was okay to have a good paying job, but also okay to pursue perhaps a passion on the side? I can't say for certain. I never really had many interactions with this mother. Um, So, you know, she wasn't, because you get to be friendly with, you know, the parents, especially when you're working in a school for three years. Um, So this wasn't a parent that I would count as particularly friendly or, you know, welcoming towards me. She wasn't rude or anything, but just didn't go out of her way to, you know, be chatty when she was picking the kids up. So if she was doing that, great. Or, you know, if she wasn't, I definitely thought it was a little bit strange. Yeah. And do you think it is something that we should be teaching to our younger generations that it is okay to have maybe a double life even, you know, it's okay to compete in a beauty pageant, but also to have the education and the skills to have a good paying job. That's something that we should be putting out there, right? I think so. I think we should be teaching, you know, particularly our young girls that your looks aren't everything. But if you want to dress up and wear a nice dress and do your hair and do your makeup, I mean, more power to you. You should be able to do that and still be respected in a high paying or a highly educated field. You should be able to do it all and not be looked down on just because you wear high heels. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And there's many other aspects to a pageant, such as charity fundraising events as well, which aren't exactly seen or promoted online by maybe the organizations themselves as much as they should be. But how do you think, if you were to put into words, how the world views pageants today? And do you think they're coming to an end? Do you think their time has kind of passed? I think pageants as we knew them, have passed um I know like the Trump era Miss Universe was definitely completely different to the IMG era um I I mean the Miss Universe uh, Miss South Africa her answer like her winning answer this year was just incredible when she encouraged women that you know saying that they need girls need to take up space like that was such an amazing empowering answer and I'm not an expert on pageants from the past it's just um an answer that really stood out to me. And I don't know if we would have been hearing the same kind of answer 10 years ago. And I also think that so much goes in to preparation for pageants. People don't see the sample questions that we are emailed and that we have to then research and educate ourselves on. And I remember spending hours just, you know, going on walks, listening to music and thinking in my head, okay, how would I answer this one? And, you know, preparing for my answers because this is all only if you reach a certain stage, then out of these 50, 60 questions, you might get asked one and you need to be prepared for every single one because that could be your downfall. And I think that people should know and pageants themselves should actually promote this more. They should educate the public, the viewers on how much preparation goes into the mental aspect, not just walking a runway. That's the easy part. Yeah, I totally agree. Everyone thinks it's just putting on a pretty dress and walking out on stage and having your time to shine and that's it. They don't see the weeks that go into prepping, the fundraising, the research, the using your platform to speak out about a certain topic that's particularly close to your heart, for example. Now, has your mindset changed from competing a pageant to, let's say, being a teacher in the classroom? Is there a difference in your mindset and the way you look at the world and the way you 
perceive things and are there any lessons that you think young girls especially should be aware of when it comes to competing even? I would say my teaching career probably started concurrently. I did um, my first pageant, I think it was my final year of my teacher training um, for Miss University. It's no longer around. Um, but yeah, I represent my university. And I remember actually everyone in my class was, and like my lecturers were like really excited about this. They were like so, you know, happy that I was going to be. So that was great, like empowerment because I was nervous in this class of um, soon to be preschool teachers, um, a lot of whom were mature students and, you know, the lecturers. I kind of thought that would they be judgmental because I was going to do a pageant? Would they think that it was, you know, bad um, for the course? I, I didn't know, but everyone was actually great. Um, it's definitely influenced how I teach and how I deal with young girls. Um, another incident that comes to mind from a few years back was um, we were taking pictures of the, you know, the preschool graduation class before they went to primary school taking pictures and holding a sign of what they wanted to be when they grew up. And a couple of the girls said that they wanted to be a mom when they grew up. So I wrote mom on their little chalkboard and they were holding it and they took the lovely pictures. And the boss of the school, um, the, I actually don't know the English word, like the, like the board, I don't know, it's something Spanish anyway. Um, they said, no, you have to change it. That's like, that's not a real job, it doesn't look good. Oh and I remember really fighting for this because half the boys said they wanted to be Batman or a footballer, you know, which, okay, about footballer, but is Batman really attainable? But that, you know, that was totally fine. But for these girls who said that they wanted to be a mom and they were told that this is not a real job, and I didn't want to be the one to call those girls out at five years old and say, hey, sweetie, can you, um, can you tell me something else that you would like to be? um to redo it so I remember you know having a big issue over this because I didn't want to change them um but I mean what are we telling young girls if we're telling them that the boys can be superheroes and the boys can be footballers but like you can be a mom but it's not a job you know so yeah it's just yeah it's like that extra little bit of telling girls that you can be whatever you want to be and supporting them and encouraging them to think outside of what they look like while also maintaining a healthy balance of if you want to wear a nice bow in your hair that's also okay and it doesn't make you any less so yeah. it's a really confusing time I think to be a parent or an educator when we're trying to find this healthy balance for girls because they're so picked up for every little thing that they do that even now, years later, I still don't know what the right answer is. I still don't know what we should be telling them. Yeah, because society and, I mean, teachers, parents, your friends, everyone influences what you decide to be at the end of the day and the choices that you make. And this is in particular hugely important why I say it's important to find yourself in all of this and to understand what your own beliefs are and your own choices are without the external influences and sometimes that is extremely hard I'd imagine in your position as a teacher to not be we'll say the parent or to just be a facilitator for change and to guide them through their journey through the school system as best you can without being biased so to say 
in a way. So when it comes to the education system, and obviously society is ever evolving and there's a lot of advancements and development going on, but unfortunately the human mind isn't keeping up with advancing as quick as society is in some ways in technology. Do you think that well-being and mental health classes or even life skill classes should be introduced into the education system? Absolutely. I mean, I've worked in mostly international curriculums, so I really can't comment on the Irish educational system because I just don't feel that I'm familiar enough with it at this point. But I do think globally we should have programs and we should be implementing in the curriculum these areas where children are taught coping skills or, you know, self-confidence, just these different kind of life skills, like you said, that I don't really remember, you know, learning in school. Um, what was it that we used to do? SPHE, social personal yeah. health education, <laughs> right? But I don't remember a single thing from that class. And isn't this what we were supposed to be learning in there? We were supposed to be learning, you know, how to be decent human beings. Um, so yeah, I do think that there's definitely like room for these life skills. I think the children should be taught and like, it shouldn't have a cutoff. It shouldn't only be primary school or preschool. It should go up until kids are leaving school. Um, there's so many things that, you know, I, I'm 26 years old and I didn't know about something until I was 25 because some skills are assumed that they're inherent to everyone when in fact they're learned. But if no one taught you because they assumed that you knew it, I mean, how are you to know? It's like a how, how to adult kind of thing. Yeah, I totally agree with you because I like I've been doing a lot of reflection recently and I realized that even when it came to basic understandings of the self, such as self-esteem and self-confidence and self-doubt and self-sabotage and how to overcome and handle and cope with all these different elements in your day-to-day -day life, I didn't know about them. Even when it came to anxiety, I didn't know how to manage it. And I don't think a lot of people do know how to manage it every day. And what I see happening just from what I've heard from people and doing a bit of research is if something happens to you, whether that's in school, whether it's in college, whether it's in work, you're told, go see and go talk to someone. But why isn't like the general population educated on the tools so that they have the skills and the abilities to cope before they get to the stage where they need to go and talk to someone? But um, I guess I am going to wrap this up. And I just want to say thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. It's great catching up with you as well and seeing you over Zoom because this is done over Zoom. But thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I hope one day we can chat face to face again. I when know. there's not 17 hours and an ocean in the difference. But this is so lovely as always. So that was the interview that I did with Rebecca Hanley. If you like this episode, please do share it with a friend or someone that you know. Or better yet, hit the download button so that we can beat the algorithms on Spotify. Stay tuned for the next couple of episodes because I've got some more interesting guests coming up on the show. Thanks for tuning in and I hope you have an amazing day or a good night's sleep wherever you are in the world. 